0: The sun will rise faster, the moon will see
1: Doing this fantastic Saturday morning. Who's today's feast today? Yesterday was St. Anselm. That was fantastic. I don't know whose today is. Who's today's feast? Whose feast day is today? Let's find out, Hassan. How's it going, Hassan? Long time no see. He's gone. Rip. Uh, it is Saint Ab. Abdesias. Abdesias. Hmm. Interesting. St. Ad- Abdesias. Never heard of him, but he was a martyr, so. Okay, how is. Oh, my. Anglican. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm going to have to talk about that. Uh, oh, Lord Yamcha. Are you going to be taking questions today? If the price is right, I'm joking. Yes, I will be. Okay, so I feel like I had to say something in the beginning. What was it that I needed to say? You know, Hassan came in here and like, he came in here with his camera on, turned it off, left, left his mic on. What a goober. What did I have to say? Man, this is going to annoy me. Oh, yeah. So, this week we have started classes for well class and there's actually going to be a second one coming up because somebody else is going to be doing something with us which is going to be fun classes on the new aquinas academy so link is in the description to the good old christianbwagner.com website new aquinas academy what we do also donation page because everything is completely free so if you want to help you can if you can't then that's fine but there's also the join for the discord somebody told me that the link was expired so after the stream if i remember i'll go through fix the link if not uh i'll just give you the link right now oh how's it going hassan
0: hello yeah it's going okay (laughs)
1: We're live, by the way. Just making sure yes. you know.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, I'm putting the I'm putting the link in the live chat, just in case the link on the website doesn't work. Although, so that's what I needed to remember to tell you guys about. No Aquinas Academy. Uh, yeah, and I can't think about anything else. So, Hassan, we have some fun stuff to talk about today.
0: You do
1: yeah I'm supposed to be talking about the Anglicans today. the AQ the Anglican question He disappears again.
0: You mean the um the accidental permission for them to say mass or their imitation maps?
1: No no no. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, So I wanted to just let you guys know a little bit. This is going to be my kind of historical, uh, probably like 15, 20 minute historical sketch on what the heck went on. Because there's actually a lot of historical background when it comes to Anglicanism. That's really helpful when it comes to contextualizing this stuff. So everybody kind of knows uh, about the beginnings of Anglicanism. Uh, you have King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII, he uh, had his wives, his annulments, his executions, all that fun stuff. Uh, the good monarch of, of Hassan's country, um, not the monarch of my country. Actually, depends on what position you take. Some people say that the that we, we're just in rebellion to our monarch. But yeah, the... Um, Henry VIII had all his wives' uh, annulments, all that fun stuff. Got Cranmer to annul it. Everybody knows about that. But between that and today, everything kind of gets fuzzy for a lot of people uh, of of what the heck happened. But basically, um, some people know about Mary's reign. But basically, after Henry VIII died during Henry VIII's life, everybody, uh, a lot of people know that he was. Basically Catholic without the Pope. Uh it's kind of how he lived, believed in transubstantiation. But there were some um Lutherans uh throughout his country. Uh, there were some uh who leaned more what well, we uh Zwinglian uh would have been back then. There was some uh and then there were some who were still very strongly Roman Catholic. So after the Reformation, you basically have this pluralistic uh, group coming out, and each one of them are uh, vying for power. So after uh, Henry VIII dies, Edward VI, his son, uh, takes the throne. So Edward VI, uh, obviously, he was, he was a guy. He was young. Um, they called him a new Josiah uh, because he was going to purify the religion of England, and he was very reformed. Or at least his caretakers were very reformed because I think he was like maybe 12, 13 years old when he took the throne. I'd have to look uh, look that up. So at that point, um, England went from being more Catholic. Uh, there was even some periods where they were a little bit uh, more Lutheran, and they went to being very reformed under the leadership of Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. And that's when you get the First Prayer Book. Um, Before that, there was some stuff in English, but the prayer book was really what uh, exercised uh, the the country of all of its Catholicism. So um, fortunately, or unfortunately, depending, I guess, on uh, how you think the history would have went, Edward VI dies very young. um, And his sister, stepsister, sister, I can't remember, I think stepsister. Uh, Mary takes the throne, uh, known as, uh, in, in popular vernacular, uh, Bloody Mary. So Bloody Mary takes the throne and she was actually a quite good queen. Uh, she's just called Bloody Mary because, uh, she was Catholic and most of our, um, historical, uh, myths come from anti, well, a lot of our historical myths come from anti-Catholic sentiment. Uh, so she was seen as being uh, a very bloody, uh, queen, although the real truth behind it is there was a lot more uh, heads rolling under Elizabeth and Henry and um, Edward even than there ever was um, under Mary. So Mary took over and she was a devout Catholic. So there was a resurgence. Of the uh, Everything was basically uh, turned back as it was for Henry uh, during this point. And then, unfortunately, this is very unfortunate, Mary dies. So you have, you have this period where she was queen, uh, if I'm just off the top of my head, maybe like four or five years. It was, it was very quick. Mary dies. So who, who becomes queen after this? Elizabeth I. And Elizabeth I lived a very, very long time. And under her, there was what's called the Elizabethan Settlement. So you have all of these very, uh, this sort of pluralistic society of varying uh, beliefs. Uh, You have everything from full-born Roman Catholics to uh, basically Anabaptists who are roaming around in England. It's really uh, a bit of a mess, and this is going to paint English history for the next hundred years. So you have the reign of Elizabeth. Uh, the Elizabethan settlement comes in, uh, basically what makes everybody happy. Um, you kind of have the via media uh, between uh, Wittenberg and Geneva, between the Lutherans and the Calvinists. And the Roman Catholics are kind of left alone. But during this time, um, basically under Elizabeth and then uh, James and Charles the I... What you have is this Elizabethan settlement maturing. Uh, Catholics are kind of left alone. If they find a Catholic priest, they'll kill him. Uh, but normal Catholics are, they, they kind of just uh, let them alone. But Catholics who were priests and try to come in to uh, do priest stuff, they, they're they just uh, brutalized. <clears throat> but you have a lot of these different figures vying for um, authority. You have... A more Puritan, uh to be the non-conformist wing of the Catholic Church, meaning of the Anglican Church. Uh, because mostly we think of Puritans as some sort of other religious body. No, they actually were in the Church of England. You have these guys who who thought the Book of Common Prayer was Papist. Yeah, they thought the Book of Common Prayer was Papist. You know why? Because they were using uh they, they, they didn't even use anything outside of the Psalter except like Um, The Canticle of Our Lady or um, the Canticle of of Zachary. Um, That's all that was used outside of the, um, and then then a few others, but uh, the Te Deum Laudamus and and, and stuff like that. But you you, you have very few extra psalter uh, prayers going on in the Book of Common Prayer, but they thought that was papist. They thought uh, because of the regulative principle, um, a lot of them were exclusive psalmody a lot of them were uh very calvinistic uh, and then there were some more on the arminian side uh, although that was more of a minor party there were some who thought that the wearing of the very simple vestments that they did have were papist so you have on the one hand a more moderate reforming force that would be see themselves as uh between lutheran and um reformed and a, maybe a little bit more uh, high church, although their vestments would be seen as like <laughs> the lowest of the low church nowadays. And on the other hand, you have this Puritan force uh, coming through. And this is this is evident during the time of like Richard Hooker, which is, I want to say like 1580s, 1590s. I don't know, the dates are a little bit fuzzy. I've been of this stuff in, in a bit. Uh, all the way until the 1650s. So what happens around the 1650s, is the puritans finally get some power they were mad at the king and uh they got the king and the archbishop of canterbury executed in order to uh, have their puritan uh settlement which was republican and presbyterian uh this is the time of if you, any of you have ever heard of the westminster uh standards this, the Westminster Assembly was during this time, but it was short-lived because everybody wanted the king back. Uh, the, the The English will, will kill each other over deposing the king and they will also kill each other over bringing the king back. That's just how the English are. So they, uh, am I back? I think I cut out for a second. Okay, I'm back. So uh, the, the English wanted their king back, so what happens after the 1650s? After the 1650s and, and 60s, it was basically um, the the floodgates were open uh, when it came to a pluralistic society. They couldn't keep that settlement of a singular religious body in England anymore. So yeah, there was like, uh, if you, any of you have ever heard of John Bunyan, he's a pretty famous... Um, uh, non-conformist in like the 1670s, 80s, they they still jailed a few people for their non-conformism for preaching without a license and, and stuff like that, but eventually uh, there had to be toleration, and in this toleration, uh, there the, the pluralistic society arose in the late 17th century. So this this is this is like a lot of lore, but but trust me, it it makes sense. So throughout the 18th century, because the floodgates are open. People kind of did what they wanted. Um, and and you get to the time of St. John Henry Newman uh, and the Oxford movement in the 1830s. By this time, uh, it was controversial. I was actually telling Hassan about this. It was controversial to hold that the Athanasian Creed should be binding. The Athanasian Creed. That, uh, <laughs> that you should be um, like a Nicene Trinitarian. Was a bit controversial. Everybody was interpreting the 39 articles uh, basically, however, they wanted. Uh, they were doing what they wanted. Basically, if, as long as you use the Book of Common Prayer, you can believe whatever you want. Uh, there were Unitarians, there were um, people who were strong evangelicals. Uh, there, there were people doing whatever they wanted uh, within the Church of England. So you had a movement called the Oxford Movement. And a lot of people think Oxford Movement Anglo Catholics whatever, but the Oxford Movement actually uh, basically wanted to bring back what they called like a prayer book Catholicism. They wanted to bring back the uh, the light that was shined back in the um, the Carolingian period, which as we talked about was under King Charles after the Elizabethan settlement but before the wars, the civil the English Civil War. They wanted to bring back. Uh, Something which was confessional that is in line with the uh, the historical documents of um, of the uh, Anglican Church. They wanted to bring back something which was Catholic that is in line with the the teaching of the early church, and uh, they they did a lot of a lot of good stuff. Like even, even from a from a papist point of view, we can look and say they did a lot of good stuff uh, in the Church of England. And uh, they, were, they were very controversial. Um, they took pride in the name Catholic, and they would, uh, from this arose the theory of, uh, called branch theory. Branch theory basically was you have this Catholic church, which is defined by apostolic succession uh, from the laying on uh, of hands of bishops. And all of these various Protestant groups have broken that apostolic succession and are outside of the Catholic church. But the Anglican Church, the uh, Roman Catholic Church, and the Eastern Orthodox Church, and some would say like, oh, the, the, um, the Oriental Churches and the Church of the East, are various different branches of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church subsists in all of these uh, different branches, although there is visible um, disunity. So a lot of these people, uh, they, uh, eventually you have this movement of Anglo-Papalism, come out of anglo-catholicism where they would um be wearing uh extremely elaborate tridentine vestments some of them would be like celebrating the latin mass uh they would be uh living in uh living in communities so basically they became uh anglican they became catholics without the pope and like (laughs) like traditionalist catholics without the pope um like Almost, almost like a weird sort of set of a contism had come up. So this is the context of a lot of uh, conservative Anglicans in the Church of England today. So why does that matter with with what happened? So you have this uh, this bishop. Uh, can't remember uh, what the, his name off the top of my head. If anybody can remember, you can pop it in. But this bishop, he's in char- He was in charge of this group called Forward in Faith. So Forward in Faith is a um, sort of fraternal society or or, uh, some sort of group of Anglican priests. And I'm not sure. I think it's just priests and seminarians. I don't think it accepts laymen who are conservative in in the Anglican Church and who also are Anglo-Catholic. They bind all of their members uh, to the seven ecumenical councils, so it's 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 kind of silly because this dude <laughs> like will will con celebrate with like female uh, bishops and, and and such, and is divorced, but he's like, yeah, I accept the seven ecumenical councils. So it, it's it's silly, um, but I digress. Um, this guy he's in charge of this group called Forward and Faith, uh, biggest uh, biggest group of uh, of this sort. Certainly. And uh, so he's Anglo-Catholic liturgically uh, through and through. Uh, absolutely through and through. Um, so these guys will almost never refer to themselves as merely Anglican. Often they will just call themselves Catholic. Or maybe they'll give the identifier of Anglo-Catholic. So in the English-speaking world, you go up to ninety nine percent of people and call yourselves Catholic. What are they going to think, Hassan, Ninety nine percent of people, you say you are Catholic. What are they going to think, even in England? Yeah. Now. Yeah. If you if you went out to a person on the street and said I'm Catholic, what would they be thinking uh, when it comes to your ecclesiastical um, uh, group? The Pope. And
0: would exactly.
1: They 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 would, they would think you're under the Pope. So even in England, where this this was a pretty significant movement like 60, 70 years ago, even in England, 99 percent of people, they're going to think you're papist if you call yourself Catholic or even Anglo-Catholic. They'll think you're papist. So imagine Italians now. <laughs> imagine Italians. So you have this group. They perform a tradi- what, what looks like a traditional English mass. Remember, these are Italians. They're wear the the bishops wearing a mitre, the the priests are dressed in Tridentine vestments, and they're calling themselves Anglo Catholic. What are what are the Italians going to think that the that these guys are? They're, they're going to think, maybe they'll know about the ordinariate. Maybe they'll think they're ordinariate. Maybe if for lucky. probably they're just going to think they're ordinary, normal English Catholics. They don't see women vestments, they see uh. They see them practicing the Eucharist uh, in accordance with what would look to be a, a, a an English Roman Catholic rite, and uh, that is the that is at least to me the most likely uh, explanation. But there's a second uh, sort of thing that uh, explanation that I could get into. So um, when it comes to a second explanation, what you have. Uh, are these unfaithful Roman Catholic priests, deans, uh, even uh, some on the Episcopal level. And they are infused with a sort of spirit of hyper-ecumenism. And in this spirit of hyper-ecumenism, they wish to basically concelebrate or allow a pre allow a, uh, an Anglican priest to receive the Eucharist or concelebrate with an Anglican priest at any chance they get. Uh, I've talked to Anglican priests; it actually happens a lot. It happens all the time. There was one uh, he he posted a little bit about this on Twitter. He said he was a seminarian one time and he was wearing a cassock and he got offered to concelebrate and he's like, "Dude, I'm not even a priest. Uh, why why are you asking to to concelebrate?" But I mean, it doesn't matter because you know, uh, null. the the orders are null either way but um so there is this sort of view among roman catholics that anglicans are basically okay and that we could celebrate the eucharist with anglicans where if you had like a baptist preacher uh the the most most of these roman catholics are probably not offer to to celebrate the eucharist with a, a, a baptist preacher they kind of view anglican orders as quasi valid and somehow of of con-celebration as an okay thing to do with them. So it's perfectly reasonable that somebody, uh, due to the spirit of hyperhumanism, especially outside of the English-speaking world, because outside of the English-speaking world, Anglicans are kind of like just weird. Uh, You know, they they, they look at these guys who dress like Catholics, who identify like Catholics, and uh, a lot of... Out, a lot of those uh roman catholics outside of the english-speaking world aren't going to understand the the sort of polemical history that we have uh with the anglicans so it's perfectly reasonable that this wasn't a mon- misunderstanding that this actually was uh somebody whoever was in charge of this was and was like, yeah, actually, that would be super cool if we had some Anglicans uh, go and, and celebrate at one of the holiest on one of the holiest altars um, in the entire Roman Catholic world. So th- those are, those are my two uh, options right there, and the sort of historical background for why uh, you get all of these Anglicans going around calling themselves Catholics and playing uh, basically dress up um, around the entire world. Okay, so, Hassan, do you have any... Uh, yeah, Jonathan Baker. Jonathan Baker, that was the guy.
0: I don't have a whole lot to say about this.
1: You don't have, you don't have anything to say? Not really. <laughs> in those days, the Anglican Church in England had no theology, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. <laughs> Pope's uh, I I mean, I don't think Pope Francis was involved in this, so... I mean, the diabolical Freemason kissed the altar. Yeah, that, that's what I thought was really weird. Is there? Um, used there there still is this like within traditionalist Anglican circles, like in their examinations of conscience, they still have mentioned like, are you a member of like Freemasonry and like secret societies? So they still recognize. You you know they just do what they want. They just do what they want. Like like. Uh, be gay yeah get a divorce yeah be a Freemason yeah do do what they they just do whatever they want um is Christian Pope explaining yes okay I, I think I cut out okay let's see if there's any anything in that congrats on the baby Christian thank you so they have a wait, wait, <laughs> they have a they have a senior chaplain at the at the Mason Lodge. Oh man, that's ridiculous! That's ridiculous. No leopard bread bed cover.
0: Real. No, it's happened before.
1: Okay, when is the next chill stream going to be? I haven't talked with Eric yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be on Thursday. Because now that I'm back in school, I have a pretty locked on schedule.
0: I haven't seen a single one of those.
1: A chill stream? You haven't seen a single one? No, what do you even talk about? Let's talk about whatever. It's uh, it's for it's for my YouTube members. That's probably why you don't see them. I see. So for my YouTube members, it's just a thank you where Eric and I will do a chill stream. It's supposed to be every other week, but since the baby whole birthing thing happened, catch it's the feast of Mary, Mother of the Society of Jesus. It's the anniversary date of the first Jesuits taking vows. You know, one of your one of your uh, brother Jesuits and I have been have been uh, teaming up on Twitter recently yeah vestiments, yeah vestments were thought of as papist mm-hmm. even you know you know what else was thought of as Papists? candles on the altar. like dudes got thrown in jail for putting candles on the altar. you know that? like in <laughs> the like in the nineteenth century, the English government was still throwing like these Anglo-catholic priests in jail. It's nuts. It's like nuts what, what was going on back then. Okay, I went through all of the questions. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I've seen it mentioned by some Anglicans in London that Jonathan Baker, divorced, remarried Freemason, was chosen as a flying bishop because he couldn't go to Rome, as his predecessor did. He was, wasn't chosen as flying bishop because he couldn't good runs his predecessor oh oh oh! <laughs> i get it now so since he was since he's divorced and remarried he he can't become a roman catholic priest I, oh my there there are anglican priests who i know who are like yeah divorced and remarried and that's the reason why i'm not going to the ordinariate. it's like it's kind of crazy
0: but I yeah don't i don't i don't understand that at all like how are you? How are you so devoted to religion that your entire like occupation is, you know, uh, an imitation of a clerical office? And then you're just like, okay, I can't believe that this particular theological system is true because if it is, it's inconvenient for my way of life. Like, how do you? How can, Like, it just seems like it makes their whole it's thing such a sham. It's, it's, yeah, it's really
1: crazy because, like, if, if you had the, if you had the flying bishop, because, uh, if, for those who don't know what flying bishop is, flying bishop, basically, um, conservatives don't want, um, don't want, uh, Mother Karen to administer the sacraments to, or, uh, or, uh, her, uh, what, what's, I can't remember the Anglican titles for bishop anymore, but mo- they don't want Mother Karen to, uh, to be administering the sacraments to, to anyone, so they get this, uh, they get this bishop um, who is more conservative to go all around and give the sacraments to all the conservative parishes. I, it's it's the crazy it's 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 craziest idea. Um, it, it would it would kind of be like if we had one of the SSBX bishops just go all throughout the United States and like give all the give all like the sacraments all uh, well, the sacraments that require a bishop confirmation and ordination to like all of the conservative parishes in the United States it, it's like it's such a wacky idea yeah okay Father Brown. when a small group of Catholics looking uh, people show up and want to celebrate a private mass most don't ask to see the papers that's true in most Catholic churches yeah I mean maybe after this incident that that should be like <laughs> that 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 should be looked into, you know. As, as I mean, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. I, I really don't blame them, uh, because I couldn't imagine if, like, there was some sort of, I don't know, religious dispute of this sort in like Sweden or something, of of uh like self-identifying catholics and some sort of like wacky thing like that and then there was this ordinariate which accepted them and, and ordained them and then some of these guys just in in rome investments showed up and tried to celebrate mass at an american parish i'm sure the american parish would just be like yeah you look catholic you know it you i kind of understand uh that process of thinking although i'm sure we'll actually never know Why do, why do Anglicans live off tricking innocent Catholics? <laughs> that, that, that is a thing. Um, who was... Who's... Um, I'm trying to think. There's like Anglican priests who will do stuff on YouTube and Twitter and stuff. And a bunch of these Catholics will just assume that they're Catholic priests. And will like follow all of their stuff. And then one time they'll like mention like their wife or something, and then the Catholics will (laughs) Catholic would be like, "Wait, what's going on here?" Okay, maybe there was. I think there was an SSPX mass at the Vatican, right? Am I remembering correctly, Hassan?
0: I don't. What are you asking?
1: I think there was an SSPX mass at uh, at St. Peter's, right? I'm not sure. Yeah. Yep. Here it is. SSPX mass in St. Peter's Basilica. Yep. Uh, In conjunction with the ongoing 100th anniversary of our patron Saint Pius X, gives us immense joy to convey some recent news of an important event that occurred at his very tomb in St. Peter's Basilica. Yep. Uh, with the not only OK, so at uh, on August 9th, the pilgrimage group uh, from the SSPX chapel in this place of France had the privilege of attending mass offered by their chaplain, Father Michel Sivry at the altar of St. Pius X. Not only has it been reported that this occurred with the prior knowledge and consent of the Basilica's highest authority, but a team even filmed the event for the French district website where it may be watched. so true yep I knew I knew it it's uh it's brother Chris brother brother Chris he's he's a little bit he's a little bit more on the on the liberal side but he's 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 a good guy he's a good guy watch this wait what am I watching? uh you think the Church of the Bishop of Rome would ask questions you'd be surprised you'd be surprised the type of the type of like I mean uh, we have to get like Amon and ask him because I know he's been in Rome for a while and kind of been in like Roman culture you you'd be surprised what type of stuff what type of Anglican is the other Paul uh so uh there was a bit of a split a few years ago Um, 2008, 2008 between what's called Gafcon and then the rest of the Anglican communion. So there's basically a schism within Anglicanism between a group led by the Archbishop of Canterbury and then a group which is called the Global Anglican Futures Conference. Um, it's currently led by, who is it? I'm trying to think. Um... I think Archbishop Foley Beach is still uh, in charge of it. But GAFCON is basically like a conservative response to uh, what the Archbishop of Canterbury is doing. But, I mean, a lot of the groups still ordain women. They tried to say don't consecrate female bishops, but groups consecrated female bishops. Yeah, so it, it's it's really just really just a whole mess that's going on. So uh, the other Paul's part of the group that is remember correctly part of Gafcon okay so is Hassan is using an ad blocker sinful some say it's akin to theft as one is taking away all potential revenue from the monetized what do you think
0: uh, I think that this is nonsense it depends on an idea of property that doesn't exist. You don't have any obligations to give money to to somebody you're watching videos from just because they insert adverts into their content
1: okay so hassan not showing his glamorous bed sheets okay so people are asking about clerical celibacy um Yeah, so when it comes to clerical celibacy, actually what convinced me the most, and this is why I think that the practice of the Eastern Church uh, is actually an allowance rather than something which is ideal. So uh, when it comes to the relationship between nature, grace, and glory— um, we have, uh, this is sort of basic moral theology stuff, we have the commands on the one hand so basically commands if you break a command, you sin so if you commit adultery, let's say let's let's keep that, well actually if you steal money uh, you are breaking one of the commands and you have sinned on the other hand you have what are called the councils so the councils, these aren't councils uh, which, if you break it, you sin. They are counsels. If you break it, you are you are doing something which is more imperfect. You are not living the 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 sort of life that we are called to live, the angelic life that we will live in beatitude, a life which leads to perfection. So things like poverty and chastity, these are not commands. You can, uh, if you want, uh, take a wife and um, and engage in the marital use. You can if you you want. That is perfectly licit. You are not sinning. Marital use isn't sinful. Uh, We've we've never said that. But you are breaking one of the councils. You're going against one of the councils. So in order to live a life which uh, most easily or or at least – most efficaciously uh and if you if you want to read don't don't believe me if if you if you're interested in this just read saint thomas aquinas's on the perfection of the spiritual life this is all this is where i'm getting it from so uh it's it's a life which leads most efficaciously and most orders oneself to uh the things of god saint paul talks about those who have a wife will uh, be concerned with the things of the world those who are without a wife will be concerned with the things of God. When you when you have property, when you have a wife, you uh, you are concerned with the things of this world, and you are not able to as efficaciously deny all of those things of this world to adhere more perfectly to God. Now, if uh, those of you out there who uh, maybe thinking like, oh, well, I'm I'm married or I want to be married. Am I screwed? Am I in some sort of lesser position? Well, no, because you can actually, and if you read uh, St. Thomas, he quotes uh, copiously from St. Augustine uh, on this point. But even in your station in life, which may require property, it may require a wife, even in those stations, you can still practice the counsels. You can still do it uh, by not ordering yourself to uh, to uh, an attachment or an overattachment to those pleasures uh, which come from those earthly things, and still dedicate yourself wholly to God. And this is this is something which I think is is extremely important. I think I cut out. Yes, I did. Maybe Hassan just cut out. Mm-hmm okay i think i'm back so um when it comes to this this life this this beatific life the life of the angels you are ordering yourself towards how it will be in heaven you are living the heavenly life the celestial life on earth because in heaven you won't have all of these things which you attach yourself to you will not be married you will not uh, be given in marriage you will not uh, own uh, this this property. Uh, rather, you will find all pleasure, all enjoyment in God, in the vision of God. Everything uh, which you enjoy outside of that will merely be uh, what's called accidental beatitude. It, it will merely be uh, something which uh, is enjoyed in the uh, in the beatific vision. So to, to better live this life uh, on earth, we deny ourselves of these certain pleasures. So, uh, so that's why I think it's super important. Uh, why I think clerical celibacy is, is extremely important. Because what we have is we have these men who are living the angelic life who are living uh, the the sort of eschatic, eschatological life begun here on earth in Kuwait, they are living uh, the life patterned after our Lord Jesus Christ. So on, on the one hand, we can say perfectly licit. Uh, we can even say that through the sacrament of matrimony, that marriage itself uh, can bring certain graces uh, to you. But uh, merit, we, we can think of it like the relationship uh, the relationship between grace and glory. We can kind of think of it a bit like the relationship between um, the, the sort of pedagogy of the Old Testament and the reality of the New Testament. Um, in, in seeing the sort of uh, allegory in, in certain Old Testament uh, symbols where uh, marriage itself is not an end in itself. And the marital use itself isn't an end in itself. Yes, there are certain goods uh, which which bring about communion between husband and wife. Uh, it, it's, it can be an act of religion in bringing forth children for the worship of God. It can be an act of justice in paying the marital debt. It can um, it can uh, it can uh, bring about uh, a certain st- uh, stamp. I, I don't know. It can stamp out lust, I, I guess, uh, stomp out lust if, if you want to, if you want to put it like that. There's these certain good things, but it's not an end in itself. Uh, it's a certain instrument to bring you to the life of perfect chastity and the life of perfect love of God. When you have an instrument, the instrument is not an end in itself. Eventually, the training wheels come off. And that's, I, I, I guess, a little bit how you can think about it, is uh, marriage becomes like training wheels uh, for for the life uh, in which we ought to live. So this is why... Um, Certain traditional pra- uh, Catholic practices uh, surrounding chastity, even within marriage or countenance within marriage, is is, is so important. Uh, it, it's it's so important uh, for a proper view of nature, grace, and glory, uh, which I think is completely lost on many, unfortunately. So uh, that that's that's my rant. Why I, I think it's absolutely so important uh, that we have. Uh, clerical celibacy, because priests are in the image of Christ, and priests ought to uh, you know, place before us the life of heaven. So, oh, I just realized in that whole rant, I had Hassan not showing his yeah. I going to say, I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Do you have anything to add, Hassan?
0: Um, not for now.
1: Not for now. Okay. Mm so we stormed your daddy's cathedral sars now anglican moment uh sspx latin mass at st john Lateran will never happen even though they have valid holy orders and aren't heretical it shows the nasty fruit of vatican II. I think I'm back but yeah I'm not not even going to respond to that there was an American parish where a con man came and stayed pretending to say mass and hear confessions for years oh yeah Uh, somebody I, I actually didn't have many thoughts about this Uh, Isn't the Vatican about the host, uh, the Coptic Patriarch, to have a divine liturgy in St. John's? What? Yeah, isn't the Vatican about the host, the Coptic Patriarch? (laughs) You've been owned.
0: Yeah. Hassan's
1: Hassan's still waking up. A my mind. Is that Hassan cutting out? Somebody let me know. Is that just Hassan coming out, or is it also me? Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, I do very much agree that it is way better for clerics to be unmarried. It does not seem like a command. Rather, it's an evangelical council, it seems. Um, so when it comes to this question, the marital status of priests is something which is, I mean, I guess God could have, uh, come down and commanded it, uh, in a, in a way which would be immutable, but the marital status of priests is something which is, uh, ruled by the church, uh, when it comes to. Uh, what they think is most prudent. So in some situations, it actually, uh, for the good of the whole, for the good of the whole, um, like we see in the Eastern churches, in order for the sake of unity, um, or or the Anglican ordinariate uh, as another example, it's uh, for the sake of pastoral reasons, uh, for the faithful, the church may dispense with clerical celibacy. And this is perfectly fine. Uh, it's, it's, uh, something which is tolerated in order to not bring about something, which is a greater evil that is schism or, um, a sort of deficiency in the pastoral life of certain congregations, uh, within the ordinariate. Um, uh, but, uh, if we look at it, not relatively, but absolutely, if we look at it just, uh, if we look at it simply just on the sake of its own terms, uh, clerical celibacy is, is ideal. uh what uh oh my religiosity stuff uh what do you mean enjoy secondary goods in the beatific vision um so there's uh and you should read uh where where would it be can not remember there's a good section that's like pretty simple in uh polls that i thought was like really good so there's what's called the essential object of the beat of the beatific vision, which is God under the, the formal aspect of His divinity, and there are what are called accidental objects of the beatific vision. So the accidental objects of the beatific vision are uh, those things which can be enjoyed uh, in and through God and for the sake of God uh, okay. by by loving God. So. Uh, I'm trying to think of an earthly
0: example of something like this the fruits the fruits of the spirit would be some of these Because yeah, i, I St. thomas says that they're formally enjoyed in themselves but with god as for as the finality mm,
1: right. mm.
0: It, yeah. it would be like if let's say i love
1: <laughs> no i i i have to think of a different example like i love uh for example i don't know chile uh like the country chile i guess it'd be i know i I like argentina i really love argentina for some reason let's just pretend that so in loving argentina i uh would love some of the people of argentina just because virtually contained in the idea of argentina are the people of argentina you can have something which is not formally present but is virtually present and then loved in and through uh, that certain thing so i love god and therefore i love all that god loves all that looks like god and all that god has created it's uh actually blessed scotus has a really good um section on this in his Ordinatio. he he, sa- he explains it like this like god uh, he, i can't remember who the statement is from i think it's one of uh pseudo aristotle's uh works but god is sort of um the the weight the sort of gravitational center, obviously, he didn't know about gravity, but the sort of weight or gravitational center towards which everything tends. So God in loving himself is going to love all that tends uh, towards him. In the same way, us in loving God, we're going to love everything that uh, tends towards him as well, since he loves everything that tends towards himself. So uh, that, that's, that's what I mean by enjoying secondary goods in the Vita vision. Is for the sake of God. Uh, what if a man who wants to be a priest is a single child and he also wants to have progeny as the only son? Well, what's more important? Uh, ask yourself. Uh, I, I think he should ask himself. What's what's more important?
0: Would Mary have wanted grandchildren? Not as in like something that she actually willed, but would she have understood that it was something objectively desirable for herself that she was not going to have because of something better? Right?
1: Yeah, I'm sure she would have enjoyed
0: grandchildren. Like yeah, that's something so that obviously uh, as exactly. a natural good. See, this is the point. Christ isn't was an only child as well. He he didn't he didn't continue his line in the natural world.
1: True, dude. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know why they clown on you Jesuits so much. Yeah, there's some. There's some cringe. There's some cringe out there. But most of you guys are just are just pretty cool, faithful, faithful men. What's the biggest reason uh, I left Protestantism? Well, because it's wrong. <laughs> I think he's asking
0: what's the biggest reason you realized that. <laughs> oh, it's- oh, it's
1: the biggest reason I realized it's wrong. Um. <laughs> Gosh, that—that's like asking what's the biggest reason you love your wife, or hate your ex-girlfriend. I guess would be more. (laughs) 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 Okay, I look. I don't hate my ex-girlfriend. That—that was the wrong. That was, that was the wrong way of putting. I'm using it. I'm using hate in a colloquial sense. Uh, Oh
0: my goodness. (laughs)
1: <laughs> just, just go stop <laughs> just okay I you, you know you know there's again that's that's asking a very very difficult question uh but I would say if if like if like reflecting on the entirety of um of what caused me to leave uh, a, a big reason had to do with the medieval church um uh, and the sort of ecclesiastical authority uh, which was exercised in the medieval church compared to traditional Protestant views on ecclesiastical authority, which do exist when magisterial authority exists. Uh, also, has a lot to do with the relationship between nature, grace, and glory. I think a lot of Protestants end up being quasi-naturalists and don't uh, actually believe in sanctifying grace. and They don't actually believe in glory. They just kind of believe in a um, better version of nature that's still within the realm of nature. Um, I And and I think the way that they substitute this sort of distinction between nature, grace, is they put in a distinction between sin, nature, sin and nature. That's that's sort of what they substitute uh, the nature, grace, distinction for. So you'll see them saying, uh, if you ask your average Protestant, and you can try this, if you ask, ask your average Protestant, or uh, at least average reformed person not not the brighter ones but just your average one ask them why somebody can't have faith without the grace of the holy spirit you know what they'll tell you they'll tell you because of sin well on the one hand yeah because of sin it's not merely because of sin it's because it's an essentially supernatural act which is uh which has its formal object in god and is something which is essentially supernatural, uh, and, 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 and needs the participation of the divine nature in you. But it's
0: also um, that this elevation can't coexist with sin, and so sin is cast out, rather than. Oh, he's dead.
1: No, I'm live. Lexi just walked okay. in and asked me something. What? Are you saying hi? No, you're not saying hi. Okay. Bye. Women, am i right (laughs) average average interaction with wife um but but yeah there's there's the nature grace uh issue which i think is a huge it's a huge universal issue and i think that's also why they hate things like clerical celibacy like monasticism i think i think the the most obvious uh sign that Protestantism isn't uh, isn't Catholic uh, you can read it in Saint Augustine uh, in de Vera religione he says the the greatest sign of, of the grace of the Catholic Church is that we have so many men and women consecrating themselves to
0: holy virginity
1: how many Protestants do you know who are consecrated to holy virginity
0: they don't they don't really even believe in uh, the kind of um, the or rather they're, they're theology isn't compatible with the traditional understanding of uh of like marital chastity yeah yeah either. Mm-hmm. yeah so I, even marriage itself is reduced to a merely natural thing for protestants yeah it, i i had to
1: read some uh for a class i had to read some stuff on interpretations of genesis one through three uh by a protestant uh james jordan it was, it was it was it was straight up blasphemous i was i was yeah,
0: we talked about this.
1: I, I was extremely upset uh reading that yeah i, I just couldn't imagine that uh, people think like that what but was yeah, the
0: particular uh, quote that you gave me that you really didn't like oh uh, it was it. oh
1: gosh i sent it to Obscura also so uh, yeah maybe I can...
0: oh yeah here we go the part where he says um, uh which is the part when he's talking about um, Eve coming from Adam, he talks about the. Uh, uh, oh, I was in Bishop Kano, me. Formation we- of the beasts is that the area that you're interested in, or the part before that? Mm. Madalou, that part. Crap! I can't. I can't find it. The the part that was really offensive was when he says. Uh, A sense of shame and guilt is a tremendous barrier to proper sexuality. The sectarian forms of Christianity, like orthodoxy, (laughs) have a major problem with sexuality precisely because these religions don't have a proper doctrine of justification. Yeah.
1: The sectarian Uh, forms of Christianity. Yeah. 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 They they said like a diabolical, they they call it clerical celibacy, a diabolical institution.
0: He's right that it flows from a different understanding of justification. though. Hmm. Um, He says they are never able to assure people that they are clear before God, and as a result, they affirm perversions like the perpetual virginity of Mary. They require sexual celibacy. Grossly misinterpret the Song of Solomon.
1: Yeah, I know that that (laughs) one's hilarious to me. It's like grossly interpret the
0: because we can yeah, like uh, like everyone in history, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and and even then, it's like Song of Solomon. If we just read it as a like marital love poem. We, we, we could we could be fine reading it like that uh there, I, I don't yeah. think there's like you can't you can't have like what do they think we we gonna have something that's like a sign that's sinful and that's somehow like okay to to portray christ in the church as
0: these guys basically think the only accurate reading of this book in history is like theodore of Mopsuestia or something because he claimed it actually was just about solomon's relationship with one of his wives uh he, he says suppressed sexuality finds an outlet in annual chaos festivals like mardi gras and rampant yeah, prostitution. oh that oh my
1: that's like oh yes there's never been a protestant country with rampant prostitution
0: yeah ever, right ever sexual bliss between married couples regarded as dangerous always and must always be linked with procreation in paganism perversion of sexuality is even worse ah oh, thanks you threw us a bone there i suppose only in protestant countries can there be a significant recovery of the liberation of sexual joy in marriage yeah well you went a little it, it, over the in marriage boundary that you set for yourself uh, i know
1: this and and honestly i don't get how a lot of these a lot of these guys besides merely on divine fiat restrict uh sexual joy to the marital covenant I, I i don't get how that's consistent because i mean they would say uh that the primary object of the marital act is uh sexual enjoyment between two people and uh when it comes to the procreation of children it absolutely doesn't need to be intended uh for a yeah uh, for a marital act to be okay so it's, well, what, kind natural, what, it's what kind of natural what kind of natural reasons outside of like stds and like unintended pregnancies you know like the the common american prop parent like explanation for why their kids shouldn't fornicate Mm. uh like what what exact what what kind of natural law reasoning is getting you to this place i mean divine fiat uh, i i guess that's okay uh we have a lot of things which uh we have difficulty explaining and then we just obey because god told us and that's fine but when it comes to an actual like profound explanation of the things present like, what exactly do you do?
0: Okay. What are you
1: staring at, Christian? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the. I'm looking. The chat is over. Yeah, you're, you. You
0: sounded like you're in the middle of talking, then you just spaced out and started looking to the side with a blank look. Over you
1: know, your I face. do that. I do that sometimes.
0: <laughs> uh.
1: What is your response to Kant dismissing the arguments for God, that he's wrong? Wow. Well, I mean, this this would just get us into a, a big, uh, dirty conversation that I've only read secondary resources on. Um, but basically about the validity of making um, noumenal statements uh, about how things are rather than merely phenomenal statements. And in that in that sort of in that sort of paradigm of, of splitting uh, things up, because uh, Kant didn't dismiss the arguments for God, Kant just thought that the only argument for God that could be used would be something uh, something which was based on uh, the the sort of phenomenal experience that we have, that our subjective um, our subjective dependence on a higher moral law, our subjective dependence on a higher uh, being that reasons uh, all of these sec, uh, all of these subjective dependencies of ours uh, requires a sort of grounding uh, that is found in God. So, I mean, Kant didn't um, didn't exactly dismiss arguments for the existence of God. And the normal Thomistic response is going to be a uh, reductio ad absurdum to, to prove um, that our sensory, uh, sensory knowledge that that are that our thoughts are not of thoughts, but our thoughts are of things, uh, basically, and that we can uh, be assured that we are speaking of the sort of noumenal realm of, of 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 things out there, the sort of common sense realist uh, kind of the view of sensory knowledge. And that's going to be the average um, Thomistic response. Uh, if you want, if you want more about this, Volume One of Gary Lagrange's God, His Existence, and Nature, I think it is. Uh, goes over this in, in a lot of detail. If you want to look at uh, the section in particular, it's called the ontological validity of our first principles. Uh, that's uh, And then there's also the transcendental validity of our first principles. Uh, those two sections are going to cover this in, in great detail. And also, um, if, you, if you want a different author, uh, Austin Woodbury, uh, he goes over this in great detail in his commentary on questions one and two of the Summa. So, uh, namely question uh, two, Article, do oh, bro. No, 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 no,
0: son. You've been obliterated. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no recovery. That's that's unfortunate. I saw that. <laughs> oh, man, dude, you need the shave now. I can't. <laughs> oh, man. Langer has destroyed
1: me, dude. Hassan, Hassan, Hassan made me. Hassan uh, cut out my internet just to get rid of that.
0: Apparently, Stephen Nemesh denies that the Holy Spirit is a person now too.
1: Yeah, he's a he's really the worst. Um,
0: what happened to that guy? Oh my goodness his
1: his view of his view of sacred scripture. Um, that that that's what happens when you have that type of view of sacred scripture the post catholic sort of view where there's no such thing as even like external religious authorities it's like he decided to meme <laughs> he decided he wanted to meme like protestant views of authority for a second and that's what he came up with it's really sad uh yeah actually this was a um Newman was one of the first i heard of to choose celibacy when he was a protestant yeah, this was a common movement within the Oxford Movement. Uh, they recognized the importance of clerical celibacy. Uh, you had other figures like even if you look at the life of Calvin, uh, Calvin was only married for like two ish years before his wife died. Uh, a lot of these guys, um, they were so busy that they just maybe took a wife uh, for uh, later in life. Uh, maybe didn't t- take a wife at all. But it wasn't like they were intentionally choosing celibacy as somehow like a higher calling. What? Oh, that's Jordan who said this. Oh, okay, <laughs> I, I was about I was about to say I, I was so confused right there. Okay, so did God create our personalities? Is it acquired? Will the be a vision perfect our specific talents, or will everybody, uh, or will everybody will perfect in everything? Will be perfect in everything? Okay, by personality, I'm assuming you're talking about like our specific, um, our specific traits. I guess you could say that are informed by our familial and ethnic uh, sort of backgrounds along with uh, our sort of companions that we like, like somebody which is gloomy or somebody which is joyful or something like that, that I'm assuming that's what you mean by personality. Um, yes. It's something which is acquired. Uh, although we have certain uh, natural biological dispositions, I think uh, towards acting in certain ways. Uh, will the beatific vision perfect our specific talents, or will everybody be perfect in everything? Um, so, when it comes to the what the beatific vision does to us, the there there's one singular object of God in the beatific vision. Obviously, everybody has the same object. Um, as we have been disposed through the life of grace uh, throughout this world, so will the um kind of quantity if you, if you want to the quantity of the beatific vision or or magnitude i guess would be a better word the, the magnitude of the beatific vision for us be different um but uh grace does not destroy nature it perfects it so uh it, it's not like you're everybody's gonna be like I don't know think of it like a neutral like everybody's gonna have the same hair color in heaven or something like you know i'm I'm pretty sure you'll probably retain your your current hair color uh your natural hair color at least in in heaven because that's not going to be something which is destroyed when you receive uh your your new body or at least your your old body with all of the um perfections the uh the dowries uh that come along with that Okay, I am eleven minutes behind. Hey. Oh, oh, uh, you, you misunderstood uh, what I was saying. So, Christian, in your intro to the Vacantism video, you said that Newman was a formal heretic at the time of the elevation to cardinalate. What's your reasoning behind that? I didn't say at the time of his elevation to the cardinalate, uh, or at least if I did say that, uh, I misspoke. I meant that he uh, had been a formal heretic in his life, um, and that's what. Uh, can't remember the document name now that they all quote about how somebody who is a heretic cannot be pope but in the same document it talks about somebody who had ever been a heretic cannot be a cardinal either which um yeah so good scholars who wrote on the filioque um frangeline uh uh onlyest who else would be um patavius patavius is another good one yeah Franzlin and patavius uh, patavius does a really good job on history uh in in the sort of patristic argumentation uh Franslin does a really good job when it comes to biblical and theological reasoning i thought and then he also has some cool stuff on history uh sheban uh if, if you if you don't read latin uh the best you're going to be able to do is sheban um, and his work on the Trinity, where he discusses the filioque in the Greek Fathers and the Latin Fathers, um, where uh, Sheban was was actually known for his work in uh, Greek patrology. Good question. Uh, would we agree with reform definition of theology? Would we? <laughs> no. Um, I'm actually just about to read through Junius's uh, True Theology. So, fun stuff. But uh, usually they have a more like scholastic, eclectic uh, kind of way of defining theology. So, yeah. But before we continue, let me get rid of Hassan, cry Hassan.
0: Okay.
1: Hassan's in the background now. Brief introduction to the development of doctrine by Father Thomas Gilby. If you're inter if you're uh, interested in development of doctrine you only know about Newman and you want to understand what Saint Thomas himself taught uh, because yes Saint Thomas did teach about the development of doctrine oh yeah you said this to me story. it's really good I want
0: I want put my I want to shell this that's actually a really good little book to buy
1: see Hassan Hassan is shilling it right now Hassan said it's a good little book to buy um i have the link in the bio uh it's an affiliate link so you should probably order from that but if you just want to look it up fine uh but yeah definitely check out brief introduction to the development of doctrine father thomas gilby help the channel out continuing what do i think of crypto i think nothing of crypto what are my thoughts on puritanism i think nothing of puritanism i think the puritans were based actually i think the common view of the puritans were based i think the actual puritans were kind of not based
0: yeah they were actually degenerate they weren't strict at all
1: i know it's like you hear about the puritans you're like nice they were like they're very strict they uh they they were they kept chastity up and and all this and it's like wait 50 percent of puritan women were pregnant uh on their wedding day what is this i mean kind of the same for trad catholic women but
0: it's kind of crazy, actually, that the like all the things that people meme about the Puritans believing were believed almost universally by Catholic theologians at the time, and yeah. the things and the and the things that people today believe, the Puritans at the time thought were okay. <laughs> it's it's like it's know,
1: Imagine going back in time and and sending like a copy of the theology of the body to Puritans. They would they would eat that stuff up.
0: Like, I don't think they would.
1: You don't think they would. No. I mean, some of the stuff he says about like celibacy, obviously, but the stuff he said. Well, the,
0: how how much of it have you read? Because because I think that it, I've it pretty read much like the just first kind of, like, like two thirds of it, which is a lot. I think I think, <laughs> I think, it's I think it way. just explains what we already believed. I think the Christopher West, you know, kind of like interpretation of it and drawing out of like weird ethical entailments is actually. uh Christopher West. Mm. Yeah i don't i don't think that stuff is a legitimate uh explanation of of the yeah
1: i i just i just don't get on a practical level how these guys like just deal with the way in which the church historically has has dealt with the the issues of of like marital uh like the the forming of the virtue of chastity within marriage uh with the insane amount of of feast days uh I mean, of of fast days uh, which the marital use was not allowed to be um engaged in and just like sort of basic reasoning (laughs) like basic sort of cultural ideas uh during the time of like your grandma or great grandma's uh day like and maybe a little bit further back than that of like most catholics uh, after they had their last kid they just would not have the marital use anymore because um because they had a uh, the virtue of of chastity formed pretty well and they they just didn't need to they need to engage in it like imagine like currently married catholics that that would be insanity uh to them what do I make of zippy catholic i have no idea who zippy catholic is <laughs> Oh, Hassan's going to have fun with this one. Uh, yeah. Is Protestantism and Islam two sides of the same coin?
0: I already talked to him. I was a bit confused but um...
1: Hassan also converts from Protestantism. Real.
0: What? <laughs> what did you just say? I said
1: uh, Hassan also converted from Protestantism. Real. Both Hassan <laughs> and I converted from two sides. <laughs> both sides of so the same
0: pissed. coin. Don't say
1: that again <laughs> <laughs> what's my favorite cat or dog breed i hate cats and i hate dogs and i think they're dumb and i'm glad they're not going to be in heaven you suck mm. boom hounds of justice everyone should check out christian's Uh, Aquinas Academy, he posted the first video recently changed my perspective for reading. So yes, I actually, if you don't really care for the sort of meeting in person type thing, I do record at least my audio um, for the entire thing. So if you want to check that out, I posted it on YouTube channel. Uh, We talked about certain issues of proper study habits, uh, how to read well, uh, like really basic things like that, which are actually really important. We also went through the first chapter of st thomas's on the principles of nature got to talk about generation and corruption matter and form act and potency all that fun stuff uh what's your position on the survivalist slash corruptionist debate uh i take st thomas's position nominalism Nominalism oh,
0: was nominalism. That's, that's was, like the meme of this, the meme version of nominalism from no. that. Dude, for
1: actually, what happened is hyper hyperplatonism Platonism led to led to the Reformation. Real, real,
0: if you think if you think the universals exist outside your mind, you're crazy. You know, actually,
1: I, you know, I I know the whole like Scotism led to the Reformation thing is a meme, but Scotism led to uh at least in a material way to a lot of what the reformed uh taught in in the Reformed scholastic period uh, i think yeah. that's an appropriate thing to say is yeah, I, i've been really? researching the issue of condign merit and i think it's pretty obvious that uh like somebody like john Davenant was was drawn very heavily from uh from scotus
0: we were talking about this in the context of the um... Intrinsic and extrinsic merit of the theological virtues. Right. Mm. Yep.
1: Good morning, Obscura. Oh, I have to. I have class in six minutes. Oh. So. We. I, I still have six minutes, though. Okay. I didn't know this. People in medieval times often fornicated to make sure they could have children together before binding to each other in marriage.
0: Yeah. this was uh this was a constantly condemned practice but it did exist
1: uh domestic duties by william gouge excellent puritan defensive patriarch. i've actually i actually read domestic duties before i got married (laughs) kind of ironic (laughs) completely different reasoning for fornication nowadays yeah it's literally the opposite yeah
0: people will always degenerate them that's what when people talk about like later adult days when most christians were not degenerate it's fake
1: bad don't believe that or you're stupid if you believe that you, you even- are really I- stupid
0: why would you even ask this? Like, oh, I'm gonna ask some, some non-set of Are the Diamond Brothers the two witnesses? <laughs> yes, yes, they are. <laughs> what are you
1: asking? Yeah, actually, it's like, actually, I do
0: think they are. Thank you. You may guys. as well comment and ask the question if he thinks Muhammad was the last prophet. Like, yeah. Yes. Yes. What are you actually,
1: doing? actually, I do. Thank you for letting me come out. Uh, and, and say that I think the Diamond Brothers are the the two witnesses. <laughs> thank you for letting me do that.
0: Okay, we only got a few minutes left.
1: <laughs> oh no, I, I I can't listen to the modern Christian worship music. You you guys couldn't pay me enough to do that. Well what's the position of Saint Thomas then? On what?
0: On corruptionism and survivalism. Belanger, the only people who think that it's heavily debated are people in the Anglosphere who only just got access to the uh, commentary on the sentences. Where he has a question where he treats whether or not the separated soul is a person, and he says no.
1: Yeah. So Yeah. It's 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 literally it's literally that easy. I'll
0: post that actually. Let me find it.
1: So um, San, how much how much uh would you like to learn Greek? You should say a lot. Oh, really? He wants to learn it a lot. So, you guys should go to fluentgreeknt.com. Your best. It's honestly, honestly, guys, like, you know, I, I, I'm i obliged to say this because they're my sponsor, but not actually. I actually think it's good. I actually think it's a really good product um, because I myself have been interested in language learning uh, for theological purposes for a few years at this point. Um, and really, I've come to realize. That getting exposed to stuff that you can read, uh, whether it's verb forms or uh, vocabulary, is very important. It's, uh, it's extremely important. And this is why lingua latina is actually so popular. Because it presents vocabulary and presents um, verb forms in, in ways you already know. And it slowly introduces you. Now, this is actually exactly what Fluent Greek does, except with the New Testament takes the new testament orders the sentences uh after uh after the easiest to the hardest verb forms so uh what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to slowly over time get introduced to new verb forms through reading the new testament um you're going to be uh it has interior functions for getting glosses on words if you happen to to find some difficulty if you use the code militants remember use the code militant 20 percent off uh after the 20 percent off you know how much it is 12 bucks a month on, 12 bucks a month that's you know you could you could take you could take like a, a semester of greek and you're lucky to get it under a thousand this is really good he also has some textbook recommendations if you if you're the textbook type uh, to read, but it, it's an amazing all-around resource if you guys out there want to learn Greek. So make sure you check him out. And lastly, oh no, I almost I almost left the site. <laughs> I typed I typed the okay, lastly, you know, always talk about it. I'm obliged to Patreon. Patreon.com slash militantomist. And the best benefit, the the most popular benefit is I answer your DMs. Uh, you know, I have recently had to institute a no DM policy. Uh, sorry. Um, occasionally, I'll check to see if there's something I can answer quickly, and I'll answer it quickly. Or if somebody's asking for like a link or, or, uh, or have some difficulty on my website. But usually, I just can't answer DMs. Uh, sorry about it. I'm not being melodramatic. It's just there's only so much time in the day but uh with patreon i do answer uh all dms so if you if you're interested you kind of want to chit the chat with me uh yeah become a patron and uh i'll i'll answer dms so we can't cover that in two minutes uh how to find a wife if you're socially awkward so can't cover that. We don't have
0: time. I have a question. A there. Uh,
1: it's, it's 10 o'clock. Exactly. I have to get to class.
0: Yeah.
1: It's lame. I know. Okay, okay, I will talk to you all later. Thank you for coming. Remember, brief introduction, development of doctrine. One of the most important texts that you'll read if you actually want to know about the development of doctrine. You actually want to know what St. Thomas teaches. Because you can... Absolutely dunk and own all of those Protestants out there who say John Henry Newman invented the development of doctrine. All of the giga ultra trads out there who say John Henry Newman was actually a modernist and invented the development of doctrine. He actually believed in uh, dogmatic evolutionism. No, you can dunk on them. St. Thomas uh, is teaching by Father Gilby. So, thank you all. I appreciate you. And God bless.